Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everyone, welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Century, and today we have a very special guest, Gabby Rivera. Hi, Gabby. Hi, it is I. (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited! (laughs) We're so excited to be here with y'all. This, like, Bitches in Comics is, like, uh, just the best name ever. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I'm Gabby Rivera. I'm a comics writer, originally from the Bronx, living in the Bay Area. She, her, lover, boy, you can find me on Instagram at Quirky Regan. I just followed you on Twitter because I realized that I hadn't followed you. And it's very strange how often that happens where I'm like, oh, yeah, I follow this creator. And then I realize that, you know, they have social media, just like most of the rest of the planet. (laughs) Twitter is not where the magic happens, though. I'm definitely more of an Instagram Kind of oh, person. gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. This this is helpful for me because I'm also on Insta, so <laughs> I have to come find you. <laughs> I love it. So, Gabby, wow, thank you for being here with us. It is like such an honor. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about America because, duh, she's the greatest. And we'll also have to talk about BB because she's also the greatest. And maybe we'll even have some time to talk about Juliet as well. This is just such an honor. I'm like, ah, kind of freaking out, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So how did you first get into comics? Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) I feel like comics just kind of happened to me, right? Like (laughs) my writing and stuff. I've always been a writer. I was always that like nerdy kid in the corner, just writing things down because I couldn't play sports. (laughs) Right. And I was like a performance poet. Uh, So I would do like open mics, spoken word. I wrote short stories. I never imagined myself like in comics. And so then when comics came into my world, I feel like I have been like born anew into something really beautiful, into a medium that is so expressive and so adventurous and wild and fun. And like, yeah, (laughs) I think America, writing America Chavez is what really got me into comics and really like expanded my whole universe, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting because that was your first comic writing, right? Was America. Yeah, that was, that was my first comic, anything, exactly what you said. I'd never written (laughs) one. Like somebody at Marvel read Juliet takes a breath, which is like my first book. Um, I had indie published that. And so they read that and then asked me to do America. And so here I was with a, a Marvel comic. Um, and America Chavez as a character to write for, right? This queer, Latina, portal-punching, like, powerhouse. Ugh, I just got chills. <laughs> just you describing her. <laughs> it, yeah, totally. Every time somebody talks about America Chavez, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, my favorite. <laughs> it's so good to hear about her. 
Yeah, I think that that was incredible. I remember whenever the title was first confirmed, I was definitely involved in fandom at the time. And a lot of people were just so, so excited to see America have her own series because, you know, it's changing more now, obviously, but there's just so often you see these really great queer characters be introduced and then you're like, well, that title ended, see you again in 15 years, you know, <laughs> like they kind of <laughs> right. just vanished from the face of the planet. Whereas with America, she just got like this extra push kind of, they were making the effort to find new writers. It seemed like it was just a really exciting time. So I was yeah. very stoked to see that you were on the book and yeah, you didn't disappoint. It's great. I love it. Uh, what, what do you think is the most important thing about America Chavez? <laughs> I'm so glad you read it too. I'm so glad that it like hit in in the ways that like feel good and feel right. I mean, yes. Well, like like you were saying, I think for a lot of people, even myself, like being the first Latina to write for Marvel was kind of like a huge moment. Writing a queer Latina character as a queer Latina is like huge, like cultural moments. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that that resonated with a lot of folks. I get a lot of young. Latinx kids of all genders just being like so excited that that happened, that America exists. I think for a lot of folks, the energy in the America books where it's really like pro black and brown and like, you know, centered on her and her adventures mm -hmm. and even the spin that we take to the like ancestral plane, right? Where it very much centers her on an exploration of her identity and her history, like I think that that because all of those elements exist in the book, I think that's what is really like the strongest elements, you know? Totally. That it's like the first time it's like, and it still gets to just be about her. I don't think I've talked America enough with people who like have read America, you know? Because I think at first it was just like the excitement of the identities, which is great. But like, I love talking to folks who have read it and like are into it, you know? Yeah, because I mean, I think it just took it in directions that I personally wasn't even expecting. I think that it's really true to those uh, Young Avengers appearances that we all know and love so well. But I liked mm -hmm. that it just got to add so much to her, right? Because in the early days... She's amazing for all of the reasons. It's like iconic, iconic. But then once we get into the story, we're just like, oh, so she like fights with her girlfriend sometimes. <laughs> and like, you know, has kind of these human moments more than than what we right. saw before. So I think that that was one of the best parts for me as a reader. When I was going to add, you know, I think what's so powerful, too, about this specific run, I mean, of many, many things. Oh, my God, the supporting cast, which we will right. talk about. But I, oh, <laughs> we love Prodigy. And I was like, oh, my God, Prodigy's back. Weeping. Yes. I thought it was so bold to take a character who had literally been divorced from her heritage, who had both of her moms had died, mm -hmm. saving her world, the utopian parallel. Right. And and she was really just a, a Latinx character completely divorced from her Latinxness, it seemed. And to take her and bring her back to that world, and it just got gayer and browner <laughs> and gayer. Like every layer, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I love that like no one explains how the two women have a baby because guess what, motherfucker? It's the Utapian parallel. They can have their baby and it's none of your business, you know? And I love it. Okay, before all of this COVID stuff, I was like traveling. I go to colleges and I talk and I go to different comic shops. I talk to people. That's been... That's like my whole comic rebirth and we can talk about that too. But like <laughs> I'm going there and I'm talking to people and that, that scene in, in, in issue uh, number seven, where the two moms 
are enveloped in the like white light and they are like manifesting America between them. That mm. is one of my favorite panels. That's one that like, there's always a hush in the audience because we've never seen queer family making that is like separate from heteronormativity. Right. Yeah. Because baby making always seems to happen in the same way. There's like a surrogate. You're focused on like the sperm and the egg and like, you know, totally the traditional sense, but with like two women as parents or whatever it is. But for that, I was like, no, what if I just can kind of like de-shackle myself from that? How would I want to manifest a baby with the person of my dreams? What if our love and our energy was enough to manifest new life? And I thought that would be so brilliant for America, like that that's how she came into the world. Yes. And it's a celebrated. You see it in the other panels. There's like other women and non-binary folks like kind of in worship of the birth ceremony. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was really here. Like <laughs> what, what can be, how would I want to have life and make life? You know, how would I want my child to come into the world? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we did that with America. It's so beautiful. Ooh, it is. You made me ball my eyes out. <laughs> I had to turn my mic off because I was crying so hard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. It makes me so happy. And that's how I felt the entirety of reading America. I was, I was bawling at most of the panels, but from a place of just like, I've never seen this. No one has ever represented queerness in this way. I've never seen these two women, like you said, manifest their child from their love and their power. I've never seen anybody be like, yeah, here's some gay ass goddesses who yes. created a planet because they just, they accidentally fell in love. Yes. What <laughs> <of> this? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of one of the best birth stories. I mean, and there's not, I mean, yeah, somebody who's been reading comics since I was a very young child, I'm going to say that you definitely forewent a ton of the problematic stuff that tends to pop up. So I was like, thrilled to see that. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that you put that much thought into it, because it really is a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you. I mean, and then Jen Bartle's Oh, I know. Artwork. Oh, God. Jen Bartle. Yeah. Do you know what it means to be writing like a script and to be like, and then in the vast unknown universe, the spirits find each other and they <laughs> manifest their circle. And then she sends you the pages and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's that it. It's Jen Bartel art. Like, the best. The best. She's like literally booked out to like the end of reality from what I can tell. It looks like everybody <laughs> wants to work with her. And oh my God, yeah, no, she is just the force. And the fact that like she did those pages, oh my God, like it's such a so brilliant. It's so brilliant that that whole ancestral plane, like America birth, like I really <laughs> I was like, well, you asked me to write it. <laughs> <laughs> There would be moments, oh my gosh, so the editors on America, Will Moss and Sarah Brunstadt are just gems. They're beautiful human beings. Um, I cannot praise them enough. But at one point they were like, Gabby, America has to fight people. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was one of my favorite parts is that she's constantly trying to understand people. Even when she doesn't want to, people are like, no, America, chill out. You got to try and understand what these people are going through. (laughs) To me, I was like, what an incredibly 
powerful way to to subvert a trope of what a very powerful character can mm-hmm. do. I think it's hilarious that your editors were like, she has to fight <laughs> someone. <laughs> there has to be. You know, I got some criticisms. People were like, oh, she just brings in bad guys. They're not even part of the, the plot lines. And I'm like, oh my God, they know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here like, but the emotional connection between America and Exandria has to (laughs) (laughs) And see, this is exactly the comics I love, so. Listen, with the ex-girlfriend, right, and the, like, stabbing America in the back, I'm not going to give too much detail, right? (laughs) I also am, like, very conscious of the fact that, like, I want my characters that are Black to have full stories, you know what I mean? And I don't want to be afraid of having folks make bad decisions. Um, but I do want to be really mindful of how I portray black women in my comics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it was really important that her backstory included like, you know, that she's doing this to protect her father and herself. And so she hurts America, not because she's just bad, but because of the situation, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So there was extra care and extra like intention And I still don't think I did like the best job everywhere that I could have. I still think there are so many places where perhaps I failed my characters. You know what I mean? Especially my black characters like Prodigy and Exandria. But for each moment, I was holding all of this weight. Like I want to respect all my characters and, and hold on to like how characters of color are portrayed in mainstream media and make sure that I'm not like mimicking stereotypes or like, you know, anything like that. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes I just plucked villains because <laughs> I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care about the psychology of this villain. <laughs> right. You could do that in your movies. <laughs> you can explore the psychology of this villain. But for me, he's funny. I'm going to take Arcade <laughs> and pop him into Vegas. And we're just God damn it, Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> oh and also dominatrix like what an what a great example of like a a, like white feminist character like i found that incredibly compelling and to see how like the the students you know figure out how to support and have one another's backs again not giving away too much but i think that scene those scenes end up being so important and i think that the way that white people act in those scenarios is really important. It's important for, you know, as a white person, it's important for me to read about white people hurting people of color because Mm. we all have that capacity in us and have done it, I'm sure, many times. And so to really like have to grapple with that, like who I identify with is America, but who I see my culture reflected in is like dominatrix. And so how do I, as a reader, reconcile with those things? And how do I be more like America? That's how I read it. I was like, I loved the foils of the baddies, you know? America's so cool. Dominatrix was so fun because, yes, it was fun to kind of like play up those white lady stereotypes, right? Like I really had like Ann Coulter in mind. (laughs) (laughs) I totally see it now. But also like more with it, you know, like sometimes I just think Ann Coulter says things that are just like, what? Yeah. Who what? even are you running around then? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, she's wild. <laughs> yeah. But Dominatrix was like fun in that respect. You know what I mean? Like I got to kind of, 
you know, because there are some folks that are conservative and they like don't give a fuck. They will straight up say, no, I don't want you to survive this. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think that there's like a niceness or a pretend nicety in like maybe more rich circles or more upper class liberal circles, even where people won't say those things, but they will feel them and think them. Mm-hmm. And so with mm-hmm. Dominatrix, it was kind of fun for her to hit all those levels and have like a, almost like she likes kind of being that bitch, you know what I mean? And she doesn't care. She wants you to know that this is her plan, you know? Like I would always much rather deal with people like that, you know? And so it was just interesting. It was interesting to have her there and just fun. That was when I really got into a villain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, and it pays off. Women just in their tightest leather, just ready to like fight. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Um, There was also another villain appearance in the very first issue, actually, whenever America pushes Captain America out of the way to punch Hitler in the face. And that was, um, I mean, one of the most classic moments, I think, of the whole series. So it only lasted like one page. (laughs) That was... That was fun. And like literally after the Charlottesville Tiki Torch parade, right? That image was shared so much. That image was shared a lot by young Latinas and like just so many folks. It was wild how, what was that, 2017, 2018? Yeah, I think so. We still needed Mm -hmm. to remind people that Nazis are bad, you know? (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) New information, everyone. Nazis are the fucking worst. Um. (laughs) Uh, But I love that she's like, oh, it's punch Hitler time? (laughs) Excuse me. It's my turn. You'll need to move, Steve. (laughs) Yeah, it's very important that she has to, that it's like, Steve, you're like literally standing in my way right now. Um, Could you? I'm just going to push you a little bit because I need to punch this guy. That was fun. I wish, oh my God, if I could do one thing, I would put a line uh, with Peggy where she says to America, I'm glad you punched him and we need a plan. Because that's the one thing (laughs) that I feel like got a little diluted because that was my energy, right? Like I wanted... Peggy to be like, good job. And also what's the plan? But I think it comes off a little bit as like a scolding. And so that's one little tiny thing that I'm like, damn, Mm. damn, I wish I had more like sense of what the hell I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way at all times. I want to offer that to the people like, yo, that was never the intention. I wanted Peggy to just be someone who's like, yeah, run with your instincts and also try to like have a place to guide them, have a plan, you know? Mm, yeah. I feel that like that's big Peggy, Peggy energy. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, like that's that's how I read Peggy is she's like, Good. I don't have these amazing abilities, so I have a lot of goddamn plans. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's like, you probably need at least one plan, America. Just just one. You don't even have to have a backup, you know? Like, I thought that was pretty, pretty sweet. And I, you know, I identify with that, like, impulsiveness that America has where she's like no I saw the right thing I had to do it immediately mm-hmm. that like feels very real and then to also you know for me it was like and then Peggy comes in like okay so what's next and I was like ooh cut me deep Peggy I don't know what's next <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was really fun too I can't say enough nice things about that series I thought that it was so so good and it's really nice that it's around I mean it's like 
if you go to libraries or anything, you can find that comic pretty much everywhere. And that's kind of important, I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, at Vanderbilt University, they're teaching America in their English 101, like, incoming freshmen. What? That's great. Good, right? Like, I was shot. I mean, you know, I know that I get taught in the ethnic studies class, the Latinx studies classes, like, <laughs> right. classes. But to be in that intro incoming freshman class, I'm like, wow. What what an honor. What a huge step. Like, I couldn't have imagined that going to college or in high school or anything like that, you know? So that America's there, that, it, that shit is dope. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and I love that they're teaching a comic book and that they're teaching that comic book. Like, that's so important. And, you know, I'm going to have to go back to time traveling because we just literally don't do an interview where we don't talk about Storm and you got to write 80s (laughs) Storm. What was that like? Oh my God. It was the coolest. It was the most fun. Like I will never forget the moment. Cause like, I was like, yeah, yeah, la la la, Storm, blah, blah. And then I'm (laughs) writing the script and I type Storm colon and it was just like, (gasps) (laughs) Storm, I'm, I'm, I'm writing Storm. (laughs) Like that just hit me. I think that was one of the biggest I'm writing a comics moment ever. Like the energy of all comics flooded me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was that. I even called my mom and because, you know, that's one of my mom's favorite characters too. And I was like, mommy, I'm writing Storm. And she was like, oh my God, Charlie, she's writing Storm right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was listen like with storm it was such an easy move such an automatic choice because like without mentors in my life without older women queer women black women women of color like femmes without their guidance i i don't know i don't know where i'd be what i would be doing like who i would be you know and so for america i'm like she would be the only one of the only Latinas in the whole superhero. <laughs> like, yeah. so who would be able to, who would reach for her? You know, like who would see her and maybe just reach? And I'm like, of course, Storm would do that. Of course, Storm mm-hmm. would see her and like, let's do it. And so when they, Marvel was like, hell yeah. And they sent me a PDF full of the 1980s Mohawk Storm story. Yay. <laughs> Oh, it was cool. <laughs> it was <so laughs> cool. This was one of those moments where I was like, I want them to have like a hippie queer sharing of energy. And also I want them to be badass bitches, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, so they're going to practice, they're going to meditate, and then they're going to fight. Because <laughs> that's Yay. how you play fight. You, That's what they teach boys to do. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. To play fight, to wrestle, to be aggressive, to get that energy out. And so, you know, to do that with America and Storm and get to have a little tongue in cheek fun with Storm too. I don't know if you. Uh, safe word? Uh, uh. <laughs> Mine I, was, I was like, to my partner, I was like, get over here. Get over here right now. I have to show you something. <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. That was so cute. I have people be like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I was not ready for Daddy Storm right now. <laughs> I am always ready yeah, for yeah. Daddy Storm personally. <laughs> 
turning that page and be like, oh, Storm is here. The queerness, the queerness of it all. I'm so happy. Yeah, she is magnificent. And like, she helps America figure out that she can channel her powers and her portal punching and incorporate other senses Mm. to find whoever she's looking for. And I just love that because it's also just how other queer women of color have helped me when everything is all raging on the outside and I've been frustrated and I feel like I'm going to give up and I can't make my way. We bring each other to that quiet center where anything and everything is possible, you know? Oh, I feel like you're just trying to make me cry. I know. I'm just like dabbing my eye just a little bit. (laughs) I'm like so inspired. (laughs) Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Take five. I'm going to pull my eyes out. I'll be right back. Just <laughs> it was interesting to hear you say you you felt like you d- you didn't do right by Prodigy because I felt like he gets you know so little playtime but he's yeah. such an incredible character and, and there's this point where he gives a speech to all the students about like we have to help each other we have to be there for america and even though you know he doesn't have powers at this time he's still incredibly powerful so i was like oh my gosh he's incredible to me and he's fun oh he's so fun that's something that you don't really <laughs> see with him i feel like because he's kind of the tense nerd right yeah. <laughs> so it's like you see him just be like kind of <laughs> like all of the time <laughs> and then in this yeah he he actually has fun you see him smiling when he's like running with america and just that to me was extremely touching just to see that because it's not something that we get to see from the character that much i'm so glad i mean I love Prodigy. I love that I was able to work with him in the America series. I'm really happy with all the like ways that he was able to shine in the series, you know? And at the same time, there are moments where I'm like, you know, again, being mindful of how characters are used to like prop up other characters. So if I could, mm-hmm. I'd go back and offer a little more motivation, a little more like personal, internal kind of like, well, besides running around after America, what is Prodigy's like goals? What are his loves? You know what I mean? Totally. If I had had more experience just kind of telling stories in that format, in the comic sphere, I would have been able to do that better. But, you know, as a writer, you're always like, I could have done this better. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But there are a lot of kids that come up to me like that are like, I'm Prodigy. Thank you for putting Prodigy in the story. Like, you know, and, and then... At the end, with that speech, that's like, we always center the hero, right? We always center the hero. And this is America's book. So what does it look like to have a victory that doesn't center the hero? What does it right, look like yeah. with the, the real final moment, the important key moments to the folks that have like been fueling this train since the beginning, you know, to, to Exandria and to Prodigy? And so that felt really good. That like, this is our school this is how we want to show up and protect each other. And, and it comes from them. And it's not America, once again, like kind of being the center of attention. And so I've definitely with them was also trying to play with that like power dynamic, you know, because it's never really just one person, right? It's always mm-hmm. that community that makes the really good change. That stood out to me so much. I actually wrote down one of the things, the themes that I got from that was people power. You know, not a person's power, but people power. What can we do together that we can't do alone? To me, that jumped right out. And I felt like I don't see that in a lot of superhero narratives. A lot of them are about 
usually the single white man, sometimes woman, but it's like one white savior to rule them all. And it's like, it's so nice to have a narrative that says, I'm not going to replace a white savior with a brown savior. I'm going to tell a story about one person finding herself and finding out more about herself and building a community around her. And maybe, I don't even know if it's fair to say she's building it. I think the people are building that community and making their decisions time and time again to be something more than what is being offered to them. Yep. And they choose her, you know, like they choose her and she chooses them. And like, I think I always want to run those threads of chosen family because that's how we survive, right? That's how queer people survive. That's how we thrive in these, you know, uncertain, scary times, we choose each other and we hold on to each other, you know? And like that little guiding voice all through America is just me being like, no, love yourself, love each other. You can do it. (laughs) You know, like, because that is ultimately how we are going to survive. The system isn't going to save us, you know? Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask about a couple of other things that you work on. And I don't know. Are you, Essie, are you ready? <laughs> Can we move okay, on? We from have America? to talk about Majamar, the super abuela. Uh, we yes. have okay, to talk about right, her. And point. then we can go on. All right. Yeah, I love that. I'm a Virgo, so I need a good like direction and transition. So this is great. <laughs> I'm an Aries, so I'm great at providing them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. I love Alexandria. Loved your Kate. I thought your Kate Bishop was hysterical. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love her as their ride and thrive. Like, I love that. Obviously, I ship them so hard. I get it. I get it. I know that she is not out. That is not our fault, but in my heart, they're very happily in love. Uh, But Madrimar, like the idea of having, I thought she was like America from the future. You know, the second Mm -hmm. she shows up, I'm like, okay, who is this? They're connected. Like, well, it can't be her mom's. Can it? Is it one of her mom's? Why would she be so old? Oh, no, it must be her from the future. And then that (laughs) moment where she's like, I'm your abuela. And America's like, excuse me? (laughs) And I love that it's not simple. I love that she's not just like, family, thumbs up, I'm happy now. I love that she challenges her and she asks her Mm. questions. She's like, where were you? Like, just because people took care of me doesn't mean I was cared for, you know? And like, that was such an important differentiation. But then also like, then she teaches her how to super stomp. And I love an old, like big boobs, but like, you know, she's got a belly grandma who's like, let me show you how to use your powers. Like that... I lost it. I completely lost it. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad. Like, okay. So it was wild trying to balance the fact that a lot of fans would know America's backstory and the Marvel universe. A lot of fans wouldn't. So listen, so she came to me with her mom's already deceased, right? Like you said, they sacrificed themselves to the universe. And so here I am trying to navigate essentially an orphan, right? Like a space orphan (laughs) who's also like generic latinx what does that look like in outer space i don't know you know what i mean like so to me the root of my connections to my family is just always my grandmother's right so like what does it look like for her to have a grandma she's gotta have somebody i'm not gonna put her out into the world totally alone and so then in my head, I was like, oh my God, of course, grandmas are superheroes. And where do we ever see them in costume? And so then I just had this big luchador, loving, kick your ass, softy grandmother, Madrimar. 
like mother of the ocean. You know what I mean? Like, and I wanted to make it complicated because relationships are complicated, but at the core, they love each other. It so comes through. And I mean, all of that felt groundbreaking. I mean, when do we see old superheroes? We saw Steve Rogers for like a hot minute. Or we get like old Logan, who's like, well, I'm a film man and everything. You know, like whatever. <laughs> old Logan. <laughs> yeah, but we don't we don't get old women and and we don't get old women who are powerful. We don't get old women who are complicated and, and complex and make decisions that we may or may not agree with, but still think they're a good person. Like she's so much. I mean, there's so many groundbreaking things in this run. Mm. We could talk for days, but to me, the representation of an older woman as a powerhouse and to give America back something that was taken from her by creators, Mm. to give her the ancestral plane, to give her a direct person to person lineage connection to say, you know, this doesn't make up for what you've lost, but you do get to have something. Not everything is stripped away from you. Like that felt so important. Oh my gosh. I love that. I, I, I'm i so glad that you said that too. I mean, that you feel it because yeah, it just seemed like such a tremendous loss. And sometimes when I think about like not sometimes, when I think about the effects of like colonization, when I think about the effects of like the transatlantic like slave trade, like so many of our histories just obliterated, assimilated, right? Like what would mm-hmm. it be, how magical would it be to have a place like the ancestral plane where you could look at your people in the before, you know, in all of their glory, in all mm-hmm. of their peace and indigeneity, you know, like that is something, mm-hmm. that's a wish that I have all the time. And so it just felt really liberating and like majestic to offer that to America and say, yes, exactly as you said it, like here, you still get to be a full person. You still get to have like a connection to those that came before you, those that protect you, you know, and, and this is how it went down. And like, your moms loved you and I love you, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. And the queer lineage, right, with the goddesses to be like, not only are you queer as an individual, but queerness is part of us. I think so often, like as a non-binary person, as a queer person, you know, our societies work actively to divorce us from the connection to our ancestors, our queer and non-binary and all the other words, ancestors. And when we reforge those connections, it's an act of resistance. And that's, that's so much what I saw in there, too, is it was a familial act. It was a Latinx act. It was a queer act. And it says, you know, we get to be all of these things and you don't have to choose and you don't have to prioritize because everybody is complex and you get to be too in a very specific way. And to me, that just, I just started crying again when you were talking, Gabby, because it's, I've never read anything like this. I've never, and I read a lot. Sarah reads a lot. Like it's incredible (laughs) to see Again, with a mainstream hero, with a mainstream publisher in particular, to see this happen and to see it treated with such tenderness and mm. intention and frankly courage, you know, like in, in both the art and the writing and in just like America's experience. It's just, I don't know, man. I'm going to go read it right after we get off the phone. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, they gave, we got 12 issues too with Marvel. 12. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it was a blessing. And you know what? I hear that they are doing America again and that the new writers also Latina, maybe even queer too. So I really love that. It doesn't seem to have ended with me either. Like 
Yeah. That this is going to hopefully be a continuing, ongoing, beautiful, creative world for America Chavez. Mm. Mm. Now that's a segue. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't prepared this time. Um, yeah, no, that was, I mean, the series is brilliant. So thank you, I mean, for everything that you did on that series, because, wow. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. So if you haven't heard, and I don't know how on earth you haven't heard, we are doing a very cool fiction project for Pride, aren't we, Sarah? Oh, yes. Yes, we are indeed. It's called Decoded Pride Anthology, and it's an online anthology, a story a day for every day of Pride Month. That means 30 stories and comics, all by LGBTQ plus creators, and they're all queer stories, and oh my god, they're so good. There's one about, like, a really loving mushroom. Uh, it's amazing. Oh, incel gets eaten by a shark? <laughs> What's not to like about this? And the list goes on and on and on. There's so many cool stories here. It's all available online, and we're still selling subscriptions, so it's only $15 for the entire month's stories. And at the end of the month, what do they get, Sarah? A PDF that collects all of the stories. And what's extra special about these stories that you're doing, Sarah? Oh, I am drawing a picture for every one of the stories that isn't a comic, because what sense would that make? But 28 stories get art by me. Original art by our own Sarah Century. Oh my god, this is such a cool project. Not only because, hey, that's a damn fine deal. 30 stories, that's 50 cents a piece for 15 bucks. Decodedpride.com. But also because this is important. It shows that there is an audience for LGBTQ plus writing and genre. We know that there are so many people who want to write these stories. Trust me, we read hundreds of them. And we know that people want to read them. So help us prove that. Come join us at decodedpride.com. .com.gov. .gov. 
www.co.uk. Today, whenever I was preparing for this episode, I realized that you have a podcast and I had no idea. So I haven't heard it, but I would like you to tell me a little bit about it. Ooh, yes. Okay. So (laughs) I have a podcast called Joy Revolution um, and it is out now on like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all those things. And it is literally me. Uh, chubby, queer, happy Puerto Rican from the Bronx, Gabby Rivera, talking to other queer people of color and folks that are allied with us um, about joy and how we prioritize mm. joy in these times of chaos and uncertainty and like, you know, this world that we live in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did it only just start or has it been going for a minute? Well, we filmed and we recorded in New York last September. I had this idea that we would go city to city and do like seasons, but you know, COVID now. So all of that is shifting. (laughs) We just released the episodes. So all of them are up now. There's about, I think there's eight right now. Um, We're still giving, it's me and my producer, Kat Lazo, and she's a producer and star of the Cat Call. She's also a a well-known Latinx like media producer for Me Too, Remezcla, like a couple of things. And she's my good friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we've got the eight or nine episodes and we're like promoting and launching them. And so this week is my episode with Maria Enojosa, who's like the top Latina journalist. She's with Latino USA and In the Thick over at NPR. And we're talking about the joy in finding out the truth in people's stories and being a journalist and how, if you're in detention centers with people and at the border, like how do you maintain joy in yourself and in the community? So yeah, like here's the thing. We all know that we're being manipulated to hell and back with the current like media, with the news, with the talking heads and the politics and the government. It's all meant to keep us afraid, to keep us from trusting each other. Mm -hmm. And so With this podcast, with Joy Revolution, this is my disruption. This is me saying, I do not give you that space in my spirit, in my brain. You will not tell me how to feel or what to prioritize. I am, and I choose to focus on my joy. And here's who I'm talking to about it. And this is for us. Yeah, it sounds amazing. What guests have you had on so far other than Maria? Yeah. Um, Well, we've got Maria Hinojosa. We've got Ari Fitz who is a queer, Black, non-binary YouTube model, magic human. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've got Joanna Toruño and Amy Quiches, and Joanna runs the Unapologetically Brown series on Instagram. Amy Quiches is part of the Veggie Mijas group on their Latina vegans that do like the best pop-ups and workshops. We've got Tamara Santibanez, who's one of the top tattoo artists, Chicanx, punk, leather babes ever. Like all the best people. Yeah. So people that are like doing their thing that are like either up and coming or established artists and also people that like I know and that I love. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not here trying to chase after people. I want to talk to people I'm already in community with, you know, and like use it as a way also to like heal me and heal the parts of me that need joy and the parts of me that struggle to find it. And, 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 you know, like who is prioritizing my joy? I have to do that. 
And so, yeah, with the podcast, it's like, let me talk to people that are already giving me that love and ask how together we can manifest community joy. That's so amazing. You know, it's given me big Adrian Marie Brown vibes, like the pleasure activism. You know, it just, it really reminds me of so much that she writes about and how pleasure and joy should be our guiding principles. And just yep. because we live in a like fascist society that wants to squash us doesn't mean that like we have to be unhappy. We can carve out happiness and that can be a form of political resistance. You know, like that, we oh, don't right. think of it I don't think always like we think, oh, if I don't know all the news, if I'm not up on everything that's wrong, if I don't, you know, if I don't know enough bad, am I a good person? And it's like, mm-hmm. we have to actually think about the other side too. Like knowing all that bad can be really, it can cause us to move to inaction and, and yep. towards nihilism. And that's not going to save anybody, you know, that is not going to save you and it's not going to save our communities. I mean, yeah, pretty much like on the daily, right? You like look at Twitter and somebody is saying, oh, it's the end of the world and like everything is the worst. And it's like, yeah, totally. I get that like a thousand percent. It is very depressing. But I've just been doing activism for a really long time and doing volunteer work and things like that. And so you always have to look at it as being a part of a longer legacy, I think. That's always been something where it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm like volunteering through this place now and doing some work, but like this is something that's been going on for a really long time. Queer people being involved, communities just in general taking care of each other, you know, communities that are like speaking truth to power, you know, all of that. So I I always try to keep all of those things in mind. So I think that this whole podcast is right up my alley for sure. Hey, yes. <laughs> Yay. And we have the right to choose how we interact. We have the right to choose our joy, to choose our emotional health, to choose community, you know, and like <laughs> when yeah. with your revolution, I also wanted it to feel welcoming. I wanted it to feel fun. We play joy games, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, we do like 30 seconds and I ask like goofy questions like, what did Joy have for dinner last night? What is Joy's rising sign? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's also something to let off a little steam and have fun because that's also how we survive. That's also how we fight back, you know? As queer mm-hmm. people, as as uh Puerto Rican people, as as any any marginalized group, like we are always talking in like our social justice, our struggle, our language of rage, our language of discontent, frustration, rightful rage, right? And mm-hmm. so it's also nice to remember that it is in like the laughter and the the goofing around um, that, w- that we get healing too, you know, and we, we, we must heal each other. Yeah. Mm. Society is not invested in our, um, in our healing, you know, like community is. Yeah. So at Joy Revolution Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. We will share it out. Yeah. On Spotify, like, and everywhere, actually. So cool. We'll be tuning in and we'll definitely share it with our listeners. I love that. Thank you. Yes. I'm very excited to listen to it. Oh, wait. And one more thing the Adrienne Marie Brown thing. Yes. 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 Mm. yes. Her work is incredible. Her work inspires me. I think, is she part of the End of the World podcast or something like that? I don't know if she's part of it or if she has just appeared as a guest. It sounds familiar. Yeah, there's that one. And then there's also a Wild Weeds podcast that I've been listening to that's all about like healing the earth and indigenous plants and 
planting for the first time and herbal stuff. So I think there's cool. a whole bunch of folks that are trying to tap into that pleasure and joy and like natural elements. <laughs> right. Healing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I think those things are, to me, fundamentally queer concepts. Like queer people have throughout history as resistance used pleasure in the face of societies that tried to erase us. And, you know, I, I tend to be very like... Sarah and I talk about this a lot. I tend to really focus on what's bad. And so I have to teach myself like, oh, take a break. Uh, Check in with like what feels good to your body. Like I've been in therapy talking about like what my body feels. And I've been doing this for seven years. And my therapist be like, so what do you feel right now? And I'm like, that is an impossible question to answer. I have no (laughs) idea. I can tell you what I've analyzed with my beautiful big brain, but I can't tell you what I feel. And so I think yep. that joy and pleasure are actually tools for the unlearning, tools for the removing of what a society has put on all of us. Yeah, totally. That's why I love the words like disruption, decolonize. I've started mm-hmm. also bringing back to my Pentecostal roots and I say, I rebuke this. I rebuke mm-hmm. this. <laughs> you will not. <laughs> you know, you're right. It's like you're saying on Twitter, on 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 this feed, on that feed, everything is like pressure, it's sadness, it's the worst possible news. It makes you in a rage. It pushes you into your fight or flight. You never get to be at balance. And as we create our own media, as we create our own podcast, we're giving ourselves options. Like we can be informed about what's going on in the world through each other. We do not need mm. their media. We do not need their conglomerates. Like that is like poison. You know, Mm -hmm. I I find a lot of strength and hope and like, you know, in everybody and what everybody's doing. If COVID, if there's any tiny bright spot in the middle of this is that there are some folks who are able to shift their energies into the things that like really matter to them. Yeah, that's super true. I was thinking too, because I I end up reading a lot of very bleak subject matter. And recently I was reading about artists that had died uh, during the Holocaust. And then I was like, I'm not even looking at their art though. So then I like consciously had to be like, oh, this is their art. You know, this is what they lived for and what they created. And you see just all of this beautiful stuff. And so I'm just sitting at my laptop, like sobbing, (laughs) but in a way that was really beautiful, you know? So I I think that you're onto something with just being kind of like, you know, you could just move your focus just a little bit <laughs> and and it'll help you, you know, it'll help I mean, you. Listen, the world is always ending. It has been yeah. ending since the beginning. It is always chaos. Right. There's always violence. There's always things that we will not understand. There's always greed. There's always power struggles. There's always this. And so right now, folks who may not have been experiencing the world in such a visceral way, now y'all are getting it too. <laughs> like, you know, so now it's like, hello, yes, yes, this has always been it. This has always been it. And we can aim for and we must hope for better. We must move towards better. But like, it is okay to turn away, not turn away from the world, but like to turn away from the way they want you to see it and reforge and rebuild a connection to like, what's really happening with the people in your communities, what's really happening um, in your spirit, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, the ancestors are always with us too, you know? Yes, mm. definitely. And it is, it's just a slew of negativity. And then you never hear, I mean, it's like we hear about 
every Trump supporter who ever had something to say has <laughs> like a full interview on NPR, oh my you know, God, and, on the New York goddamn times. Yeah, exactly. Think about all the queer people, you know, doing awesome stuff. How much airplay do they get versus zero? <laughs> Literally zip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Mm, how many lists have we been on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do feel that, Gabby. I feel that in my soul. Um, I actually feel like this is a perfect segue to talking about BB Free, right? Because yeah. BB Free is about climate catastrophe sweeping across the planet and then like the lives <laughs> that exist after. And you've even created this like incredible, just like irresistible 15 year old BB. Oh, oh, I can't even handle how much I love her. Mm, I'm so glad. Yes, BB Free, the uh, <laughs> post uh, climate change, post apocalyptic America, like fractured states, lush Florida swamps. Like, BB is 15 years old. She's on the adventure of a lifetime with her best friend, Shulita. They're both just like, bouncy, intrepid, curious, queer, Boricua, Puerto Rican kids in the future, like manifesting their their biggest dreams on the road. I'm obsessed that it opens with this, this like philosophical conversation Julita and Bibi are having about good girl. What does it mean to be a quote unquote good girl? And why am I not good enough as I am. It's something that I've I've grappled with, especially around my gender identity, as I've mm-hmm. figured out that I'm non-binary. But I think it reinforces this theme I see so much in, in your work, also with the Juliet Takes a Breath, is that freedom is such an important theme in these works and self-determination within a community as well. And it comes through so clearly with BB, you know, <laughs> she's literally riding an alligator through a swamp. Like, what? That's so cool. And she's just like, no, dad, I don't want to be what you are. I want to be what I am. And like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, like, I grew up in a loving household, uh, Puerto Rican family. My mom is a teacher. My dad is like a salesman. It's very like, Americana just in the Bronx, you know what I mean? And like, and, you know, grew up Pentecostal Protestant. So at every turn I was told to listen to authority, to listen to Jesus, to listen to your father, to be a good girl, to sit with your legs closed, to just accept what's happening around you, to be good for your husband that you don't even have yet. Like at every turn Mm -hmm. being boxed into these, you know, corners and into these roles that just didn't fit me. And I was, it was also a very strict upbringing, right? Like I wasn't allowed to go play in the parks. And so my freedom was also very limited. And again, loving household, but just like super strict, especially with me being the firstborn daughter, right? And as I became a teenager, that super strictness got put onto my sexuality and my development. Stay away from boys. Don't be gay. Like, <laughs> you know, like all of things. Yep. I relate to all of that. (laughs) So with BB, I'm like, you know, the world could change. We could have a post-climate society and still somebody's dad is going to try to make them be a good girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here she is just being like, hell no. Like, no, I want my radio show. I'm going to be Chula, my radio. um, And I'm going to go on my adventure. And I don't know why you're trying to stop me, but you can't. The other thing that I, I really think is so important about this is that Chulita uses a wheelchair or, or a form of wheelchair that is new to this 
time. Yeah. And so often in post-apocalyptic stories, disabled people are erased or it's assumed that all of the people who are disabled die or, you know, these horrible, horrible narratives that we've seen time and again. And so yeah. anytime there's a powerful representation of someone who is disabled in a post-apocalyptic story, it stands out. It stands out that yeah. Chulita is not weak. She's not stuck XYZ. She's a person and she yeah. gets to be fully realized and have goals and ideas and she uses a wheelchair and that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, listen, Chulita is based off of also one of my favorite people in the world, Tamara Morgan. Uh, she is an educator, social worker, artist, black woman. Like we worked together when I was a teaching artist um, and she is the most bouncy, joyful human and she's got osteogenesis. And so when I was thinking on Chulita and Chulita was forming in my head, I was like, oh my God, Tamara, right? And so osteogenesis is a brittle bone disease. And that's what Chulita has. And that's why she uses Scorch, her turbo powered mobility wheelchair device. Oh. <laughs> um, it's so cool looking too. I love that it's, I love that it's Brad, you know, like yeah. that's a nice touch. And Chulita's black, trans, boricua, like Chulita's a lot of beautiful identities. And with all her identities, I wanted to make sure that we just like saw her as a 15 year old first. So that's why there's no like grand announcements about like osteogenesis just yet. Like it's like, you don't get to know all of that about somebody right away. You have to work and be right. in a relationship with them, you know? So like Chulita will let you know what's going on with her body when she's ready. You know what I mean? Like, and so I wanted to make sure she was always in the position of power. I wanted to make sure Chalita was like always loved, cared for, and that her journey in this is super clear and super important, just as Bibi's journey is. You know, once mm -hmm. again, making sure that like I don't just create like the singular hero narrative, you know, that it's equally as much Chulita's story as it is Bibi's. Mm, I got chills, got chills. In so many stories about disability in comics, they can't imagine a technological advancement that doesn't immediately fix the disability, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you see a lot of stories that it's like, oh, well, it's the future times. So it's like oh, totally yeah. erased. Everything. Yep. So yeah, this was, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting way to approach it. And I think it does it in a way that is, so, you know, so respectful and kind of is just like, yeah, I would send this maybe to a few comic writers <laughs> that I was reading whenever <laughs> I was a teenager, you know, and be like, hey, maybe you should have thought you know, <laughs> thought of a way that, that you could advance the technology without erasing disabled people, right? Like, that's kind totally. of a huge problem. Yeah, no, of course. Like, it's wild to me how limited people's imaginations can be when it comes to ability, disability, sexuality, gender. I'm just kind of like, really, that's it? Like, you really think, <laughs> like... That every person who's deaf doesn't want to be deaf, doesn't want to know sign language. Like you really are so limited in your scope that like you can't imagine that all these differences really can be turned into advancements, really can change society, really are miraculous in their own ways. Like I get so bored sometimes with the limit of <laughs> like other people's imaginations, you know, like, yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear that. This is relatable. With Scorch, I was like, okay, yes, a wheelchair, but you know what? She's in the swamp. So let's have the wheelchair 
be elementally smart so it can absorb the humidity and turn it into power. Let's also make it that the wheelchair can turn into a swamp boat because why wouldn't it be able to have multiple capacities for Chulita to actually get around, right? Like, let's really do some shit. (laughs) Right. That would be helpful. And then also like not offensive to the character. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting and great to see, honestly, as I say, I've just been reading comics for so long and there's, there's so many moments and it's the same with everything. It's the same with, you know, all mediums where you're just kind of like, okay, I need to put this down and go for a walk and you know, all of that. (laughs) And I think that this was such a change up for me where I was like, Oh, great. Awesome. Like somebody is actually playing around in this world instead of just being like, it's this or this. So, yeah. Oh, and one more thing, like if you look in BB in the comic, Tamara is consult is the credited because she's also my friend, Tamara Morgan, who is a disability. Like she works with all sorts of companies and she does that sort of work. Right. Mm-hmm. We consulted with her. Like she read through the the issues and, and, and she's also advocating for Chulita and like how we draw her. Um, what she says, what she does, right? Like, it's not just me being like, oh, I know how to do this. No, I, <laughs> right. I reached out to Shannon at Boom, who is incredible. Shannon uh, Waters, the editor of BB. Mm. And I was like, hey, with Chulita, we got to have multiple people who have her back. We need Black trans women to read this story. I want my friend Tamara, who's a social worker and who also works with a company that is doing creative designs with a mobility devices and, and, and education centers, right? Like to be on board. And so, yeah, Tamara Morgan, that's her, she's in there. And so mm-hmm. when we do this work and we do work, uh, we create stories outside of our identities. We got to remember to bring people in, you know, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> I was going to say the importance of sensitivity readers is just monumental. And I think a lot of people who write from places of privilege still don't think about that and don't think about how, you know, as a white writer, I I can't understand what it means to be Latinx. I can't understand what it means to be Black or Asian or any identity that I'm not. And that's going to change how I write. And so if if I have characters who represent those identities I don't have, like I need to make sure that I'm checking in with the people who have those identities because it's too yeah. easy. It's too easy to fuck up. It is too easy because we live in a fucked up society. It's too easy to be afraid of reaching out. And we also get to change the language you know, kind of like fuck sensitivity readers, you know, like let's be, <laughs> you know, let's be story accomplices, right? Let's be, right, right. I love it. You invite your friend in not to just check to see if you did something wrong, but to be like, yo, does this character pop? Does this character make you feel mm. good? Like, does it represent, would you be like, yeah, that's my friend. You know what I mean? That's my cousin. Like, yeah, we get to, we get to do all, make all sorts of magic. Yeah, I, I always that. think about that because it's sensitivity readers is such an interesting <laughs> term, I guess, because it's just like, let me bring in this person to be sensitive. Um, it's just kind of a strange, <laughs> strange thing to say. It's like, okay, well, this is a sensitive subject. I'm writing like a character that isn't white. So um, I need to bring in some like, you know, it's like it just adds such a weird tone to it that it's just like, why don't you just ask your friends? <laughs> like. Because <laughs> they don't have on. friends who are people of color. This that's is a good point. This is a good point. Friends. All right. I got you. I, mean, I, got I you. think that's the other feedback that people need is that like, this is what I tell people when I'm teaching writing is I'm like, you can't be a good writer 
and a garbage ass person. You can't. <laughs> you have to be connected to lots of people. You have to constantly question your perspective. You have to do introspective work to be a great writer. I'm not saying to publish. I'm saying to be a great writer. Right? There's a oh, difference. Okay. So yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I think it's it's like a, it feels very double speak, right? Like sensitivity radar. It's like, oh. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> like, I'm sensitive. I just need someone to like make sure that I'm not being a dick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Dick prevention reading. That's, <laughs> that's what we'll call it moving forward. That's actually, that's our other podcast, actually. So. Dick prevention. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. <laughs> um, what what kind of projects are you looking forward to after this? Because I mean, you know, you've got these works that are also each one of them make a different statement. And I'm just kind of curious, is there stuff that you haven't been able to express? Like what's kind of your next thing that you want to do going forward? Mm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I really just want to continue focusing good energy on BB and like get her through these adventures. I want the series to also get a chance to go to the like new Caribbean, right? And see what Puerto Rico looks like in the year 2232. I've got such big ideas. Oh, wow. So yeah. That like, that so they're exciting. Yeah. Like I'm trying to manifest that room. I want to manifest that like energy that people read BB and we get there. So that's one thing. And then, you know, I am at the beginning stages of a second book and I'm plotting that out. And I don't want to say too much, you know, that's not the, <laughs> but I'm plotting her out and I'm finally having like real room to work on that second book. So yeah, I feel like right now, especially with COVID, right? I'm really trying to focus on right here, these moments, these projects. So the Joy Revolution podcast is still like an everyday thing. I'm trying to build community with the Instagram. I want to talk about the episodes, talk to people daily about joy, right? BB, she's out in the world. Um, second book, we're doing the Juliet graphic novel with Boom Studios. And so I'm looking oh, wow. at the ages of those. Oh my God, like... <laughs> There's, I got plenty of work <laughs> right here, right here. <laughs> I'm so happy and I'm so thankful. And like, I don't know, man, like 10 years ago, I couldn't have imagined this. This is a really beautiful life to be like a creator thriving. Um, yeah. Mm, my heart's all warm and fuzzy. I love it. Yeah. I think that that kind of wraps it up on the questions I have. And it looks like we're at about time. Yeah. Did you have anything else, Essie? No. Um, Gabby, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention? I mean, I think we talked <laughs> about everything, right? Like We, <laughs> we solved the world. We, we're, we got it. <laughs> Gosh, I feel like we are best friends now. We have just... Yeah. <laughs> be you know dming you later with some thoughts and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> oh this has been a damn delight i mean i have to say your work inspires me deeply and we, we didn't really talk about juliet takes a breath but i find that work just so deeply moving and all of it i've just been it's so nice to ball my eyes out because i'm happy <laughs> It's yeah. so nice to be like, I'm crying because I've never seen a representation like this. And I'm crying because 
not just because I get to read it, but like thinking about all the people who get to read these works and feel like they see themselves, feel like they see parts of themselves, feel like they see a space for them to create. And it was just incredibly inspiring. And this conversation just, I mean, I was already obsessed with you and and then we talked and now I'm like super obsessed. And so I'm sorry, I'll be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm glad. I mean, listen, if I mean that, right? I really mean it. If we did, if we moved with the energy of like, well, how do we support the magic of the queer kids to come? Like if we moved with that energy and everything that we do, like we would always have access to this joy. We would always feel strong in ourselves, you know? And so that's what I'm trying to do. Everything I write, everything I put out into the world, I'm like, there's going to be future us. And we have to make sure that they know that they're loved and that we're doing the best that we can for them. And that's it. Woo! Damn, what a sign off. <laughs> yep, you got another You got another tear out of me. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, <we love> comics! <laughs> Bitches on Comics loves Gabby Rivera forever and ever and ever. (laughs) All right, y'all. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. (laughs) Bye. We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But 
wait. The excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.